What's your Everest? You know, the highest mountain on earth, a metaphor for a goal that is so big that it scares you to even speak it out loud. That goal that takes more than a season, a year, or maybe takes a lifetime to even accomplish. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain and your host as we meet inspiring individuals who know what it's like to set big goals and how to accomplish them. Welcome to My Everest, a 29029 podcast. The hardest thing about producing this podcast is that all of our participants at 29029 have a story. They have really good stories. I'm going to keep sharing those stories with you month after month and season after season. But every once in a while, there is a story that seems to transcend the others. A story that epitomizes what 29029 stands for. I never thought about whether I could do it. That thought never entered my mind. I lost myself in that moment. There was no thought about me. There was just thought about her. I was tired, but I was okay. John Samnick has been climbing mountains with 29029 for a long time. When John started, there were no red hats, no red carpets. There weren't even coaches or training plans. There was just a mountain and a newly formed community that was about to change everything. Unfortunately, my mom was coming to the end of her illness. She had been a stage four cancer survivor for 26 years. She was diagnosed as terminal. She wanted me to be around. I wanted to be around her, but I also was feeling this desire to do something for myself because this illness and the grief that I was anticipating were really starting to you know, overwhelm all the things that I was doing. So at the same time, I want to be there with her, honor her. And she thought for a while and she said, okay, I'm not going to die next week. I'm not going to die in a couple of weeks from now. Go and make it meaningful. That was her directive to me. John is drawn to 29029. He's open to the experiences the mountain presents to him. He's not there for a red hat or some finish line. He's there to make it meaningful. Yeah, I was feeling this, this energy, this kind of powerful energy in that moment. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, one day they're gonna tell my story. Yes, John, we are going to tell your story because we all need to hear it. I've known Jesse my whole life. We grew up together. And when he says, I'm doing something, I go, okay, Sign me up. I have no idea what it's about. You're, you're Everesting? Okay, great. I don't go into it the way that a lot of other people do. I'm like, Jesse's going to be there? Okay, great. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, and, that's great. Right. And and for, you know, at that time, uh, I don't think there were any coaches. No. There was no training plan. Mm-mm. And he's like, come on, everybody. It's going to be fun. I'll get you up the mountain. So Jesse talks like that. I'll get you up the mountain. But this is like such a such an interesting thing. That's how he speaks. I hear it literally. I'm like, Jesse's going to get me up the mountain. I probably don't really need to train that much because he's going to get me up the mountain. So at some point over the summer, I was in touch with him about something. And he's like, call Mark Hodewick and ask him about such and such. And I was like, oh, hey, Mark. And he's like, actually, I'm in Snow Basin right now. He's like, how's your training going? And literally my response is, 
Jesse said he's going to get me up the mountain. And he just paused and he's, he just says, well, unless he's going to put you on his back, I would suggest training. <laughs> and I literally was like, oh, oh, right. Yeah, this is actually an event that is not going to be like some just we're just going to have fun. Like to me, I just that's just the way I interpreted it. I was like, Jesse's going to be like barking in my ear. Come on, John, what are you talking about? Like, that's the way we used to grow up. He would yell at me about things and I would do them. So did you train? I did train. Uh, I'm out here in L.A. We've got hiking, right? There's a lot of hiking out here. And so I would go to Runyon Canyon and some of these other canyons. And I was definitely uh, pushing myself. But there was, like I said, no training plan. I had never run a marathon. When Jesse did the intro at Snow Basin, he's like, I just just by show of hands, how many people have done a marathon? I think like 70% of the people had like raised their hands. Oh, really? How many people have done an endurance event? 50% of the people. I'm like, I did a 5K 20 years ago. This may not go exactly as I had hoped. Yes, it would. It's probably pretty interesting. Did you feel intimidated at that moment? Like, was that an intimidating feeling for you? Or were you still just kind of like, well, I'm just here? Well, probably I was intimidated. I was also delusional. I was also like, so what? So what? You've done that. Okay. So we're all going to be on the same mountain participating in the same event. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think I just kind of pushed that part out of my mind and just focused on, well, we're here now. How did it unfold in 2018 for you? Well, you know, Snow Basin is tough. It's very tough. It's, and it was the first time anyone had ever done it. 2.3 miles, 2,300 feet. I mean, it's hot and dry there generally. You're at, you're starting out at 63, 400 feet and you're going to 8,600 feet. It's no joke. And you're also intense. Right. So there's that element too, right? You're camping, glamping, whatever that is. I'm totally out of my element. I'm from New York. This is not how we live. My family thought camping was staying at a Holiday Inn. Like that's not, that was not, I was not prepared really for this experience. So I was nervous. I was really nervous. I didn't know, we didn't know about nutrition. I knew that I got dehydrated easily. So I did bring like the camel back and I did focus on trying to keep my hydration levels up, but I was just in the energy and I just wanted to, I literally was like, let's just do this one at a time. Yeah. Right. I don't, I don't know what else to do. Nobody, there was no pre-planning around this. We're all experiencing it. That first hike, that first part up snow basin, that's hard, right? And it's like, you've gone 500 feet and all you want to do is kill yourself <laughs> because you just like, I can't, this is, there's no way I can do this for 36 hours. Right. Like, is it, is this the easy part? Is this the hard part? Like what, what is even happening here? Yeah. And so you just move from like aid station to aid station. And for me, uh, I definitely started to get intimidated as people are moving by me at a pretty high rate of speed. It, it was ner it was nerve wracking. Yeah. Like you just don't know what you're doing. You don't know what's going to happen. And I had never done an endurance event before. So I didn't even have the concept of, of what that meant in terms of persistent 
exercise. It's interesting how you said that you just had to take it one lap at a time. And I think there's a little bit of beauty in that, in that naivety or whatever we want to call it, where you didn't overthink it because you couldn't overthink it. You didn't know what you were thinking. And so that allowed you that space to just be present lap after lap, aid station, aid station. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, really, it was the only way for me to be. I mean, listen, along the way, your mind just, as you know, your mind just plays big tricks on you. And anybody can do two miles or 2.3 miles. It's quite a different thing to do it uphill the whole way. 13 times. I mean, that's what you're asked to do to find your Everest. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, just all of this was new to me. I was, you know, just <laughs> bubbling over with with all of it, the anxiety, the excitement, the this, the that. And and you learn. This is the thing about 29029. You learn as you go. You have to learn the mountain. You have to learn what you need to get to the next place, to get to the next place. And every mountain is a little bit different. So, you know, just that that unknown quality is actually something that um, I think really affects how you do it. I've never done a mountain twice, so I wouldn't know. But I think just that that kind of like, yeah, mix of anxiety and ex- anxiety and excitement as you start to climb adds in a whole other element. It really does. And there's just, there's so few people who can train perfectly for this. It's not like a marathon where you can go and mimic a marathon. You really can't do that with 29029, especially when you live at sea level or if you lived in New York or something like that. And I mean, you were in LA and you're able to climb a lot, but still you can't climb uphill for 36 hours on your own. You can't do that. It's not Mm -hmm. possible unless you've got some other things in place to do that. So there is no perfect way to do it. You have to approach it with this unknown and being comfortable in that space is that unique thing about 29029. By the way, there was a lightning strike on that day. We got together in the shed right near the second aid station. And that turned out to be one of the most meaningful hikes because what I found for myself is I was hiking alongside this guy, Rob Young, and we just it just was easy. Hiking with someone was easier for me. And I didn't know that until I did it. That was a really big realization for me. Like I need to be with people. So that was really, I think, a helpful process. Then I hiked into the night and then this is where it got messy. It always gets messy at night. It gets messy at night. And it's it's pitch black and it's also still quite warm. And there had been these rumors that there might even be moose on the mountain. <laughs> Nobody had ever done this before, right? It's like one Killer of those things. Killer moose on the mountain. <laughs> starts in the back and someone goes, did you hear? Someone saw a moose. Did you hear about the moose? Right. So you're looking around and all of a sudden, my I went into shutdown. Like I felt like I was in quicksand. I could not move my legs. And so in that second half, it took me a really long time and I was struggling and I did not think I could make it. And then this woman just kind of like comes around, turns around, comes back to me. Her name was Laura. And she walked with me for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half to get me to the top. They get oxygen on me. It's after midnight. I'm now dehydrated, 
no, there are no coaches on the mountain to be like, when did you pee last? Like, I'm like yesterday, right? Like that's right, my answer. Right. Because Laura's a participant. And, Is she a participant or a volunteer? Is... She was a participant. Okay. She was a participant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and I ha was suffering from altitude sickness, both at the same time. And by the way, I've never seen Laura again. I've never spoken to her again, but she was like an angel out of the dark who came to get me. And I, I found out like who she was and I sent her a card afterward and a gift and a thank you. And I literally have never heard from her. I don't even know if she was real. I think she was real, <laughs> but she came out of the darkness. She got me. She helped me up. Jesse comes up the mountain. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, I got oxygen on. I'm not and sure what like, I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm doing. And they were like, take him, take him down. And they did. And as soon as I got below 7,000 feet, it was interesting. All of a sudden it kind of shifted for me. You felt better. They were like, you might want to, you might want to just kind of take your time. Out I don't here. know if you're going to hike again. And I didn't want to put myself in real jeopardy around that. I wasn't, I think I had done five at that point. And yes, it would have been great to get to 10, but um. I, I just, my body wasn't cooperating. Yeah. You got to listen to your body at, at certain times. And the dehydration leads to having more problems with elevation. And it's just kind of, sometimes the dominoes just start to fall. So was that the end of your snow base in 2018 experience? That was, except uh, Saturday afternoon, Jesse had just finished. I'm sitting with him and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I feel like there's one more in me. He said something that changed my life. He said, Let's go to the top and root everybody else on. And there we come back to that community again. Community. It, and for me, it's about connection. I come into 29029 with kind of a, a three-pronged approach. The first is about connection. I'm there to connect with others. For me, I spent a good part of my life avoiding connection, resulted in all sorts of issues. It's not natural. We're human beings. We're meant to be social and connect with others. So that's my first thing, connect with others. The second is to be total. From the beginning of the event until the end of the event, I want to be in it. And I was, I found myself feeling bad for myself. I found like, I felt a little shame in it. Like I'm not hiking and, you know, I mean, now I need to explain to everybody who's sitting around me what's going on. Instead, Jesse's like, oh, like it's not over. Like there are people who are still well, on the you, mountain. You're Let's... still part of this this experience. You're still part of this event. Let's go. Exactly. And it shifted me around. The third thing is to respect and take care of my body. And I was doing that while still being in it and it didn't occur to me. So when he said that, it like, it just shifted me forever. I was like, of course, I'm going to be up there. And now I go up there and my friends are finishing and I'm taking videos and uh, my friend Chuck Wade is is crying and and the whole you know the, all of it it was beautiful and I I felt full I felt total I felt connected and that was what I came for and that's the difference of 29029 from other events because that community and that connection, because there's community in, in other events in Ironmans or marathons, there, there is that community feel. It's always great to be at a finish line, but there's something about one-on-one -on -one with those people, whether you know them or not, or you met them on the mountain, there is a deep connection that can be formed in those 36 hours that transcends everything else. And I'm with you, John. Connection is what it's all about. I see that as my job. 
I see that as my role is connecting you to your story, you to the mountain and you to the community and connecting that all together because that's what we leave with. That's what we go home with. It's so true. And I love the fact that you do this and you do it so beautifully. And we really need someone to keep that narrative alive, to keep the conversation going. And even if you're somebody who wants to hike by themselves, to know you're there with others and not alone is still a reminder that you need. We have so many people who come alone to 29 or 29. They come by themselves. And even if you are an introvert, even if you're not really that type of person, it's not a natural thing for you. I feel like the mountain and the community meets you where you are and can provide you what you need. Some people might be like, oh my gosh, I, I don't, I can't be around all these crazy people who want to do all this stuff. But I feel like it, it meets you at the place that you need it to meet you. It's true. You're not required to do anything. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to form connections, but people will show up and they'll, you still need someone to say, I, I see you and I, I think you need a cup of water. Or why don't you just wait a second? You do need other people to watch after you. This is an endurance event. Yeah. And somebody to call your name out and be like, John, good job. You know, as, as you walk by, as little as that. That's why I love the names on the bibs, front and back. Yes. Someone's going to speak your name. And when we hear our name spoken, we feel that someone's seen us. That's true. Even Good if point. we don't want to be in that conversation, that's okay. But you still know that you're seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said to my friend Lori, as she was hiking Jackson Hole, and she kind of warned everyone ahead of time. She's like, if I don't talk to you, don't take it personally. And I was like, okay. And she's walking and I said, hey, need anything? And she's like, nope. And I was like, okay. And that was that. And that was that was the extent of our conversation. But I'm sure she appreciated she appreciated the fact that I was there in case there was something I could give her. Yeah, you were you were still there. There was still a connection there. We we can't not see those connections. So fast forward, you came back and volunteered in 21. So you were part of that. You've you've really been part of the community since you started in 2018. But you climbed again at Whistler and this, your story at Whistler has become one of those monumental moments. So kind of take us through Whistler and how you showed up, what you showed up, what your expectations were, and how that unfolded for you. Yeah, um, it actually starts back even a year before. So I've been really good friends with a bunch of people in the community. My friend Sylvia, who you know from Singapore, um, my friend Mary McCrate from Long Island, um, a, a friend, Andreas, who lives in Toronto, Cameron Schmidt, who uh, used to be a volunteer. And so we said, let's go to Whistler. Let's kind of come in from around the world and take part in this event. And my life at that time, we were kind of just all coming out of the first phase of the pandemic. And it gave us something to really look forward to. Unfortunately, my mom, uh, who is a miracle in and of herself, uh, was coming to the end of her illness. She had been a stage four cancer survivor for 26 years. Wow. And uh, it was in the summer of 2022 that she was diagnosed as terminal. 
And so this really, of course, sent shockwaves through me and my sister and our family. And my mom lived in New York and I'm here in L.A. And of, of course, wasn't able to travel very much during the pandemic. And so now I'm like, OK, I just have to be with my mom. Like, yeah, th- this is this is it. This is the moment. And then we have this event coming up in September. And what does that mean? But that's really not my focus, my mom, my family. That's my focus. And I spent time with her. And she wanted me to be around. I wanted to be around her, but I also was feeling this desire to be with my friends. I felt this desire to do something for myself because this illness and the grief uh, that I was anticipating were really starting to you know, overwhelm all the things that I was doing. And I didn't want to lose myself in all of this. At the same time, I want to be there with her, honor her and honor our relationship. And so I sat with her and we both kind of cried over it because she wanted me to be there. And I said, listen, if you want me to stay, I'll stay. No question. I'll just cancel it. No big deal. I also want to let you know that every time I go, something big happens. And she said, and she thought for a while and she said, okay, I'm not going to die next week. I'm not going to die in a couple of weeks from now. Go and make it meaningful. That was her directive to me. Go and make it meaningful. Now I'd done no training. I well, I mean, was you were like, at a hard part point in life. I mean, you had a lot going on. Yeah, but for for a lot of people, it's like, oh, something's going on. Let me go run. Let me go to the gym. That's not me. I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. Can I have another piece of cake? Like right. that's my approach. We're trying to move away from that. But that that was really more of my like covering up that was that disconnection that I was talking about a minute ago of like I don't even know how to be with people I don't know what to do if I'm not going to be in shape is it going to be a waste of time you start to run through all of these things and then again my friend Chuck Wade who I reached out to and I was like I don't know what to do and he said you're not going to be the only one there who's struggling with a family member who is sick or is in grief Go and let the community support you. And that was the big shift. That was the big push and the shift that I needed. I went to Whistler a couple of days ahead of the event. And so the timing is is amazing. So you showed up there with this directive from your mom. And I love that. Make it meaningful. Make it meaningful. Plus, you're you're bringing this grief, even though your mom's still with you. It's you know there there is it's heavy. It's it's a lot to carry at that time. So I'm sure when you showed up, it was it, it had to be difficult on so many different levels. So there was that piece, and then literally four days before I was supposed to leave, my younger cousin died tragically. Oh man! So 36 years old dies. My mother, who's paralyzed because the cancer is in her spinal cord, can't walk. And I'm just thinking, what are all these things telling me? Are are they saying I should be in New York, be at the funeral, be at this, be at that? I I, I don't know what to do. But I also know that I can't bring anybody back. I also know that I, I'm, I can't cure the cancer, that literally the best thing that I can do is live. Yeah, and so, uh, and so I went to Whistler to a couple of days early to get my head straight. But again, remembering 
how I go into these events. Connection, be total, take care of my body. And so that was how I showed up at the event. And it was Thursday, uh, the day before the event. And I walk into the kind of the ballroom there where everybody's having lunch. And I start to scan the room. For me, the event has started already. Yeah. For a lot of people, the event doesn't start till the next day. For me, it starts the moment I get there. And I'm looking around the room and I see this person. Oh, I think I recognize that person. And then my intuition just kind of guided me. It guided me to a table where this the two women were sitting and uh, my friend HB, who I had met at Snow Basin, he was there and we sat down, the four of us at a table. I looked over this woman, Sarah, and I said, hey, I'm John. I just want to say, I'm not sure what this event is going to be like for me. I haven't been training I'm dealing with a lot of grief. And she just kind of looks at me and she said, me too. She said, I don't think I ever really grieved my death of my mother. I mean, we talked a little bit about what it was for me. I don't think I've grieved the death of my mother. My very good friend uh, died earlier this year. And I said, well, maybe we'll work it out on the mountain. We spent about 45 minutes talking to each other, but that was the essence of it. Well, and what, I, what I'm what i taking from that is you came with an open heart, really. You were willing to embrace the moments that were going on around you and in life and share that out with these strangers. I mean, you didn't you didn't know these people, but with that open heart, it led to that conversation. It led to that connection again, because you opened that heart there's that instant connection that you're able to make with her. And mm-hmm. and, it, and it, it felt it felt courageous on some level to be vulnerable and again to identify like who who do you think might be open? Like I said, you know, I'm seeing this, I know that person. It's easy. It's easy to go connect with the people that you know. Even if they're a Facebook friend that you've never met, you know a little something about them. I was going into it like from a completely different state. Like I just need to feel who might be able to receive this. Yeah. Yeah. Because not everybody, no, no one, a lot of people, and I want to say no one, not a lot of people want to hear the grief story the day before the event starts. Like they're in a different place. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's something that as humans, we tend to shy back on. We say, oh, I'm sorry, condolences. And then we move on to, so what hiking poles do you have? Something a little lighter, a little easier. Yeah. How's your training going? Right. Ready for tomorrow? Like we, we keep it light. Right. Because we're afraid. We're like, oh, am I going to offend them? If I ask a question, am I going to? There's so many times when we're, when we are in that position of hearing others grief that we get so uncomfortable in our own dealing with that, that we don't know what to say. And we we don't allow that connection to happen. And there you go with Sarah. She was able to make that little connection with you on Thursday. You haven't even yeah, gotten was, on the mountain. It was, it was incredible. And, and oh, by the way, Thursday afternoon, Colin does his keynote and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking one day they're going to tell my story because this is powerful. This is big. I feel touched. I feel inspired. I want to also be that for others and to be that for myself. And based on what I was going through in terms of of my mom and my cousin and other things that were just kind of happening, 
around me, I was feeling this, this energy, this kind of powerful energy in that moment. After Colin talks about pulling himself across Antarctica by himself, Antarctica unaided and go 77 miles on the left, you know, it's a whole thing. You just want to run through the door for that guy. And the next morning we're all out there and I, my friend Sylvia, and she's got cards. She's got laminated cards for each of us telling us how we need to approach the mountain, right? It's like, you've got to do it in three and a half hours. And then the gondola ride down is going to be 22 minutes and you've got this long to eat. And she's got the whole thing planned out. And I just thought that's so cute. Right. That wasn't for you. That was that wasn't going to be how you were going to attack this mountain. <laughs> right. Uh, but you go and you're in it. And, you know, that's this is the thing about the starting line. Everybody wants to just rush out. Yeah. They talk about this every time. There's so much energy in that moment. You want to burst through the door. But you can't. You no. can't burn out in the first 20 minutes, which is in a way kind of what happened to me. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. It's first of all, Whistler, four seasons, right? You've got every season on that mountain. It's totally different than any other mountain. Totally. You're going through this rainforest out of Lord of the Rings. There's fog. You easily could be off. And you're, you know, the next thing you know, you could be in another province of Canada. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. You're just kind of following the headlamps in front of you. And and it's you know, a it's long cold. mountain. It's it's, a, it's almost long. four miles, 39. I mean, it's 3.9 miles, 3,900 feet. It's long. It's very and long. you don't know where the end is. You have no clue about what that end point is, as opposed to Jackson Hole. You look up, you're like, I need to get there. That's okay, where I'm going. Cool. Right, right, <laughs> right. At Whistler, you don't, you don't see it for hours. Right. So it's, you start off. I'm I'm overdressed. I'm I'm undernourished. I'm underhydrated. I'm totally tired. And at one point, like either Brent or Chris is like, you got a drink and you have to start delayering because this is not working. Like I'm already sweated through the first 30 minutes. So it does take that level of adjustment. And I think that those are that's what the first hike really is. But when the first hike is a four hour hike, four miles up. Uh, it, it's hard. It's really hard mentally to be like that. Four hours is a marathon. I got to do this how many times? Right. It's eight times at Whistler. And good thing, at least this experience, you had coaches on the mountain with you. We had a whole bunch yes. of coaches there <laughs> that we now have coaches all over the mountain that are able yeah. to support and help you. Yeah. And so I get up to the top of the mountain. I'm totally exhausted. I'm fried. I, I'm thinking maybe this is it. Maybe I just do one. And my friend Andreas from Northern Ontario is just standing up there. It's snowing and he's just standing there. And I'm looking around thinking, who is he waiting for? And he's like, hey, come with me. And okay, what are you here for? He goes, I'm here for you. Okay. Hmm. Hard to be angry when your friend shows up and stop on the mountain snowing. And he takes me inside. He's like, let's get you some soup. I'll ride down with you. And it was beautiful. It, it changed my whole experience because literally you're just thinking, I'm alone. Nobody's even going to know if I go missing. The hotel is right there. It is literally steps from the gondola. That's the problem with Whistler. <laughs> and uh, I could go back to my room and nobody will know anything about it. But I don't. 
I then keep hiking. I go, I finish my second one, which is slightly better than the first one. I miss lunch because they're serving lunch at the <laughs> top of the mountain. Oh, I was like, this is not working out for me, right? I really, really wanted to order room service. Sylvia, and, Sylvia's little chart was not working in your favor at this point. Yeah, Sylvia's chart may have been working for her. It wasn't working <laughs> for me. I'm just out there in survival mode. I'm like doing two. But my big thought is I never really got to hike day two at Snow Basin. I want to hike day two. Yes, yeah. Again, I'm not really here for the Red Hat. I don't know what I'm here for, but I'm not at that level. It doesn't mean I'm not going to push. It doesn't mean I'm not going to compete. It just means that's not my goal. I'm really here to work out other things. Yeah. And so I go back, literally go back to my room. I'm so exhausted. I fall asleep. I fall asleep. And I'm not ashamed to say it because I clearly, I just needed the rest. You needed the rest. And you were in a comfy Fairmont bed. What can we say? Exactly. I I mean, I wasn't checking out, but I really was like, I was like, let me just close my eyes and let my body tell me what it needs to do. And I fell asleep and I was okay with it. I woke up literally the next morning and I felt good. I was like, let's go. I get on the mountain day two. It's now sunny. It's not snowing anymore. It's now spring. Uh, It's now fall. It's some season. And I was like, it's like the hills are alive and the sound of music type of feeling to, to Whistler. And I start going and uh, I see this uh, woman. Her name is Ksenia. She's lovely. I didn't know her. She knew me from this BYLR experience. And she's like, oh, my God, John. Hi, how are you? And I was like, great. How are you? And I'm now on my third. She's on number seven. I was like, this is amazing. And she's like, uh, I just don't think I can do it. I, I don't think I can finish it. And I just said to her, I said, Ksenia, I have not passed anybody in 24 hours. You are not going to be the first person I pass. And she starts laughing and she just, we just keep going. And she kind of like scoots ahead. She's like, oh, right. Okay. So she starts going and it's now like around 12 o'clock on Saturday. Of course, the event ends at six. I go winding up uh, between the second aid station and I guess the third aid station and a bear jumps out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on. Really? Like, there are 250 people here and the bear is there for Chooses me. Chooses me. Chooses me. The bear pops up, you know, stands tall. He was probably eating berries because in between two and three, they were eating berries in there. That's probably what was happening. So long as they weren't eating me, they could eat all the berries yep. they want. And I just start yelling at it. I just start making noise and the thing kind of scoots away under the under the gondola. And I'm like, all right, I'm up. Here we go. Like, this is something's happening here. Something is really happening. Like the bear. Is that the mama bear? My mom? Like, what is it? My I felt almost like the presence of my cousin who was a wrestler and kind of has this like wrestler pose, which is how the bear looked. And I was like, something is happening yeah. here. And I really started to like feel something different. So I go number three. Number four, I'm going up. This is going to be my last ascent. It's now like 1.30 Late in the afternoon. afternoon, yeah. Yeah. Coach Brent comes down. Amazing, John. Keep going. Like you said, you want to hear your name. He gives me a high five. You know, I go up that that short little path, cross the mountain, go into the rainforest, and there's Sarah. 
who you had met on Thursday. Right. Who I met on Thursday, haven't seen since. And she's like, oh my God, John, that's you. You're the first person I met. You're the first person I met. She goes, great, let's do it together. And we start going. Now, Sarah at this point has been hiking for about 30 hours. Right. She didn't sleep. Yeah. I don't think she slept. If she did, it wasn't much. Sarah probably weighed 110 pounds soaking wet when she started this event. And she's like, I've been sick all morning. And and we just start walking and hiking and going. And I just think, okay, well, we're just going to do this together. Remember, uh, this is what yeah, that's what it's you're good there for, for me. Yeah. That's right. And and I had learned at Snow Basin, like when I really hike with someone, something else happens for me. Around uh, after the kind of the first uh, aid station, she just says to me, I don't think I can do this. I, I just don't think I can get there. And I said, Sarah, you're going to get there. And if I have to carry you, I will. Because now, Sarah, what lap is she on at this point? Eight. This is it. So she's wearing a red bib. Her red hat is just at the top of this mountain. She just has mm-hmm. to get there. And by the clock, she has time to do it. Correct. We're hiking. We're moving slowly. I'm rifling through my bag, trying to get her to eat. I'm trying to get her water, but she's confused, right? She keeps thinking that if I eat, I'm going to be sick. I don't want to be sick, so I shouldn't eat. But meanwhile, we're hiking. Now, I don't think I had the most clarity myself in that moment, but I was really trying to, I felt like she was undernourished and she needed something. But you go and I said, Sarah, tell me a story. She's like, I can't tell you any stories. You tell me stories. And so now I'm just like, oh, great stories. This is what I do. I love telling stories. And I'm telling her my wife is visiting my daughter in Australia and this is happening. And then there's this about I, like, oh, all you have to do is open the door with me. John, tell me about yourself. Giving her everything. We're doing a podcast, right? <laughs> so, so we're going and we get up towards this uh, aid station number three, which is the last one before the top of the mountain. And Coach Chris is now coming up behind us. He's kind of sweeping the mountain to make sure no one is left behind. Because the time is ticking. I mean, we're we're getting close to 6 p.m. That's right. At this point, it is just about 5 p.m. We've got one hour to do the last leg and he's in full like Navy SEAL mode. He's like, come on, let's go. No, there's, you know, you'll get a drink when you get up there. Whatever, you know, he's in that mode. And he quickly realizes it's not going to go that way. Like we just get past that third aid station. And the this last leg of Whistler is unlike the rest of Whistler. It is rocky. It is steep. You have to literally like go between split trees to yeah. kind of go up this path, it's really rough. Yeah. And she can barely walk. Mm. She can barely walk. She's not thinking straight. I mean, she's, I love you, John. You're my angel. I was like, okay, we'll deal with it when we get up there. Like, beautiful. I'm glad we're having this moment. And Chris is like, like, you know, he's saying all the things. He's right, like, right. go and, okay. Finally, he just says to her, let me walk in front of you. You put your hands on my shoulders, John, you get behind her. And I'm now literally carrying her up the mountain, as I said I would two hours ago. I did not think that this was going to happen this way. I'm literally picking her up by her calves and doing the walking for her. And it went like that for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. as we got to the top, because there's no turning around at that level. Like, literally, the quickest way to get help is now up. Is up, right. She need to get her to the top, yeah. 
And so there's a medic standing up there looking over. We're literally, we're the last two people on the mountain. Yeah. And the time is ticking and Chris is pulling all the tricks out. He gets to the top and he's saying, Sarah, you got 100 seconds, 100 seconds. And she could barely walk. I mean, you were there. And at that point, our goal, we're, we were not going to give up with the finish line in sight. Right there, yeah. And we're just kind of moving. I'm holding on to her hand and her arm and guiding her. And we get to the the red carpet and Chris says, let her go. Yep. And I was like, but what if she, what if she falls? It's, it's okay. It's okay. Let her go. And I'm right behind her. She finishes with about two and a half minutes left, which means the last person to finish was me. The greatest fourth lap in the history of 29-0-29 was my lap and my purpose and my... Well, your you connection know, came full circle. Your your reason for being there, those, those tenants that you came with, came full circle from Thursday to those final moments on Saturday. It was a miracle. It was, there was something, the universe conspired, I think, to bring us together. It, it, it was synchronicity. It was all the things. And w- what was really interesting was I never thought about whether I could do it. That thought never entered my mind. This is the thought that we are suffering with on the mountain. Can I do it? What do I need? I lost myself in that moment. There was no thought about me. There was just thought about her, which really tells you the power of the mind. And by the end, I mean, I was tired, but I I was, you know, I was okay. I didn't really need that much. I just, it was the emotional drain of watching someone that I'd come to care about. Well, it's interesting, John, because I write notes after each event And I have a note on you. And it said, when I spoke with John after, he said he would take finishing like he did helping Sarah up the mountain any day rather than having a red hat. Thank you for that. And because it was so impactful for me, because I I watched as that unfolded on the red carpet and that perspective on 29 or 29 as an event, but also on humanity as a whole is what I'm so passionate about when it comes to this event. We're not fostering finish lines. We're not fostering red hats. We're not fostering PRs. We're fostering humans connecting and finding out a little bit more about themselves and the people around them. Absolutely. And by the way, I saw people who were going on their eighth lap, miserable. They were going to get their red hat. They hadn't spoken to anybody. They were stuck in their own suffering and misery. They were not having a great time. They were not really being with, I think, what the event could be. I understand why, right? Because sometimes we just want to achieve the thing. Sure, sure. But I also went into this with no expectations, right? So I'm totally wide open to whatever happens. I'm literally just happy to be there. It's interesting because when I've talked to people and interviewed people and said, you know, is there anything you would change about your 29 or 29 experience? So many times I've heard regret of going too fast, of not talking to enough people, 
and not slowing down and enjoying the moments because they were they were gone so quickly. And there's a place at 29 or 29 for those people who want to go fast and you want to finish by midnight or early in the morning. It, it's fun. I love to see people being competitive like that. But too many times I've seen people and I've heard people say to me, oh, I just wish I would have made those connections. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different sort of intention to come in with. And maybe that's just the lesson you need to learn for yourself. Yeah. Right. For sure. For sure. Thomas Zebley, you may know Thomas Zebley. He's been in the 29 or 29 world since way back when you were as well. And he's brought a lot of people to the mountain. He used to finish pretty fast. And he's told me, he's like, I will never finish in the dark ever again. I won't do it. Because a lot of people do have time to go to bed. And it's those moments like you were talking about with Snowbase in 2018, when Jesse said, let's go to the top. There's people to, there's people to welcome in. When Sarah and you came to the top at Whistler, there were people up there as a community bringing people in because those are the moments that 29029 is built for. And it's true. Yeah, but but you don't you don't know, I think, until you do it. Like it wasn't what I fully thought about, even though I knew that I was there to connect with people. I didn't fully, really fully understand the power of it. I'm glad that people have been talking about it in terms of a regret. But my question is, what are you doing now? Yeah. Right. Not just on the mountain, but in your life. Yep. This, it, this exists everywhere. You don't need to climb a mountain to connect with people. No. It's a completely unique and amazing experience. If you do, either as a volunteer, as a participant, as a coach, whatever. I mean, that's what's the beauty of this event is that you're ostensibly there to do one thing. And this whole other thing is happening at the same time. Yeah. And it is. And what a disservice we do to our experiences on the mountain if we don't come home and foster those things that we learned. I think that's how we always have to take the mountain away with us. We have to take those lessons with us because we just we're not there just to put a red hat on our head. We're not just there to climb up a mountain and be miserable a bunch of times. We're there for so many greater things. And once we find those things, Let's bring them into our real lives. That's absolutely that's what we right. want. Bring the mountain to the city. Yes, bring it to the city. Bring it to your everyday life where even when I'm at a grocery store and I see somebody's name tag, I like to be like, hi, Julie, how are you doing today? Because I know what that means to someone when you speak their name. Because how many times did we go about our lives at drive-thrus and at in grocery store lines or just passing each other where we don't even look each other in the eye. You're a New Yorker. New Yorkers are the worst about that. They're not going to look at anybody, you know? It's they like, will to say, get out of my way. They will. But, you know, <laughs> looking at somebody and just saying hello. And I know that's something that I try to take off the mountain into my life is to see people and to yeah. create those connections. So I would say to everybody... Figure out what your story is after the event. It's not, again, about how many laps you did. It's about who you were on the mountain. So I get in touch with her finally after like many months of trying to connect. She ends up in LA. She's like, come meet me. I meet her. All of like she's there with like five or six girlfriends, each one of them hugging me. Thank you for taking care of our friend. I, thank you for saving our friend. And she said, I just first want to apologize. I know you've been trying to get on the phone with me. 
this was not a phone call. We needed to do this in person. And we sat for about three hours and we kind of laughed and cried. And she told me about what happened in the months after I told her, went home literally four months to the day after I sat down with Sarah at that table, my mother died. And uh, I just kind of shared with her like how much that moment meant to me in amidst the sea of grief, that, that moment of feeling that I could help someone. My mother couldn't walk. Here I was helping somebody walk. It, it was powerful. I think it will always be powerful to me. And then she said something which then blew my mind. She said, we are going to be friends forever. And this is, I'm not meaning to be weird about this, but when I die, I want you there. Oh my gosh. And I said, well, this 29029 really quite something else. But then I said, there were two, two thoughts that came to my mind after I heard this from her. I said, first of all, you got to stop doing dangerous things. And the second thing is I need to outlive you. And for someone who has at times struggled with taking care of his body, hasn't necessarily prioritized myself, prioritized others, this, this moment shifted me. I need to outlive you. If this is what you're asking me to do, I'm not going to take that lightly. And it, it then changed everything for me. It makes you think every day how you're living your life. That's a gift. Incredible, right? Yeah. It's so powerful. There's not, there's not words for that, those kinds of moments in our lives. And we're connected, whether we speak or not, whether we, she was texting me at Jackson Hole. Uh, you sign up for Jackson Hole. And when we get to Jackson Hole, just taking this full circle again. It was interesting. I got to Jackson Hole. And again, my event starts the moment I get there. It literally starts like as I'm getting my luggage. And this there's this woman there. And you could just tell she's there for the event, right? And I was like, oh, hey, my name is John. And she told me her name. And, and she just said, you know, I really just want to meet Colin. I read his book, 12 Hour Walk. And, you know, I did this and I did that. It's my first 29, 0, 29. And I was like, right on. Yeah, like I love the enthusiasm. And then we get to the hotel and there she is. And she's waiting to speak to Colin. But she's a little shy. And I was like, come on, let's go, right? So we go in and I was like, Colin, you know, meet so-and-so. And he does. And they have a nice little talk. And then there's just this moment. It's just he and I. I said, Colin, I don't know if you remember me last year, Whistler, and he was... Because Colin like, right. was at the top as well. He was standing right by me when he you was. guys came up. I remember he was like taking a video of it. I just said, uh, I want to just... I don't know if you remember the story, but here it is. And he was totally present. He listened to the whole thing. And he was like, that's such a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. Now we go through all of the little things that happened where you go into breakout rooms and you're now having lunch and all that stuff. And honestly, I forgot that Colin was doing a keynote 
Like it just didn't occur to me. I'd done this now three times. I was like, I don't necessarily need to hear about nutrition again. I've already done the thing with the bear. I don't know. You know, I don't know what I need to hear in this moment. Did you go to sleep in the hotel again, John? (laughs) I didn't go to sleep again. Thank you. But I did go back because I think I shared with you, I saw you outside. A friend had Instacarted me on Yes. Yes. To the hotel because she was like, what do you need? And I was like, I left my Uncrustables at home. Can you help me with Uncrustables? Now I have Uncrustables. I was like, let me just go up to the room. I'll throw them in the refrigerator. Um, And then my wife started texting me and something had happened and she needed my attention. And she shared with me how she then went for a walk and this butterfly literally landed on her. And as she tried to shoo it away, this butterfly with blue wings, my mother's color was blue was with her and stayed with her for this whole block. And she just felt, I felt her presence. Now she's crying. Now I'm crying. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm now, uh, I'm literally like, I, I got way too much going on. Like there's all this emotion. I need to can take care of my body, right? Take care of myself. I literally just like lay down. I don't go to sleep. I just kind of like take a breath and my phone starts blowing up with Colin is talking about you. Colin is telling your story. People are sending me videos. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I'm not there for this moment that I had visualized a year ago. Someone is going to tell my story from the stage and they're doing it now. As he started to speak your story, and Colin does such a, a great job of of weaving together the story as well. And it was so profound and it was so powerful. And there was a lot of alumni at Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole was a huge, huge conglomerate of alumni. And that was a story that really resonated with that crowd because they know what that community feels like. They know the strength of that community. And it was, I, I had tears in my eyes. There was not a dry eye in that whole entire area as we're listening to Colin. And so I can't imagine all of this is coming at you just like bullets as you're laying people, there. Uh, people, I mean, uh, I, again, the event had started before the event started. And what that became for me was something really profound. Jackson Hole is, it's it's kind of more like a sprint yeah. in many ways, right? It's an hour and a little bit, maybe you could do it in less, maybe a little bit more. But you can see the top. It's unlike unlike any other mountain in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's 1.1 miles straight up, 1,571 feet. It's steep. It's rugged. The terrain's tough. It's a single lane. Single lane. You've got to do it 19 times. It's literally the polar opposite of Whistler. Right. And uh, and I'm hiking. And what I thought was every ascent that I'm going to do, I want to dedicate or think about someone. And the first one was for my wife. The second one was for my mom, who the day that the event was going to end was going to mark six months to the day since her death. It was for my cousin, David. It was for this group of like 20 something people that I knew who I was doing it with, who had really been instrumental in helping each other. One of them was just for Jesse. Jesse has meant so much to me in my life. I mean, this is someone I've known since six, I'm six years old. 
and he's created an event like this and all of these people and these moments, some of the ones I'm talking about, are, are because of his vision and his energy and his desire for people to have this rich, profound life in the experience. It wasn't like I had these things planned. It's like, who's popping into my consciousness now? And that's what 29029 is. It is an experience beyond description. You can't talk about it just as a hike. You have to go in it and be in it. And it's spiritual. Absolutely. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm doing this whole thing. I was I trained a lot better for this event, but it was still super tough. And, you know, you still have all the demons that show up. And then you got the issues with nutrition and hydration and too much pickle juice and not <laughs> enough fat and whatever, right? The whole, all of it, right? It's a big, it was hot. It was dusty. Yeah. (laughs) It's at altitude. It's, it's, it's all the things. And I think it was the second day. And I just thought, I cannot ignore how much love is coming to me in this event. People are stopping me riding down in the gondola with me. You're that guy. That's your story. I need to know you. I want to know more about what all of that stuff. And as much as I kind of try to maybe push that away a little bit, it was unavoidable. I was like, I surrender. I surrender to the love. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. It was an incredible, it was an incredible feeling. And then as I, as I start to finish the event and, you know, had made all these friends on the mountain, uh, Dr. Trish, she comes kind of running down to meet me as I'm going up the last part towards the end of what was then my 10th uh, ascent. And she just gives me this big hug and she walks with me and she starts cooling me off. And it was beautiful. I just start to cry and it's emotional. And I know the event is, is coming to an end and I'm now going for my personal record. And I say something to you at the bottom, like, Hey, Colleen, I'm going for my personal record. And I don't know how you heard all of this through all of the noise and chatter because there are like 200 people who are like, Colleen, 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 everybody's, you're doing all these things. And so I'm now coming uh, up the mountain. Again, I know it's going to be the last one. And I there was a guy who was finishing and I was like, I want to let him kind of have his moment. Yeah, that, yeah. This is special for him. Let him pass me. We don't need let a busy collect- finish line. One at a time, one at a time. Yeah, yeah. Let me collect myself. And I start to come up those last steps and I hear you over the loudspeaker on the microphone. There's John Samnick. You heard his story. John doesn't like the spotlight, but he has a huge heart. And it kind of just broke me like in the most beautiful way. And I thought, How does this person who I hardly know, know these things about me? It's like, how could you possibly know who people are was my thinking, right? As if we go through life and we think that we're invisible and people don't notice who we are and how we show up. Like I thought you were going to be like, you know, John loves French fries and a nice cookie. He also enjoys cold brew in the morning. Like I thought that you were like at some, that there was a cheat. I was like, did I fill something out that she's reading off of? I don't know what 
is going on here, but it felt so special to your earlier point about saying people's name, acknowledging them. And that really took me off guard. And I, I'm so grateful and thankful that you brought that presence to that moment. It was then incredibly meaningful. And now it, it remains incredibly meaningful. You know, John, I have such a unique position that I play in these endurance events and at 29 or 29 where I I get these moments of just these floods. I guess they're moments that are like mini floods of of learning about each and every person who's out there and everybody has a story. Everybody has something. And when I see you, I feel connected to you. I feel like we know each other, even though you and I have, have not spent much time together physically, you know, I've watched you and I, I've got to see you and I've seen your stories unfold and being able to be that narrator of those stories is such a unique position because it teaches me, like I said before, that this connection is everywhere. If we just stop and look. I can learn so much about you if I just see you, listen to you, even for a moment. We can make such a strong connection with another person. It's so true. And you really do model that for everyone. It's just such a powerful thing to bring your awareness. Jesse has many of these qualities, too, where you just need to say a quick thing like, I saw you and you're amazing. Keep going. And you're like, I don't need to hear anything else. Right. But for you to say that and to recognize that about me in that moment, I thought this is somebody I want to know better. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank, I mean, thank you. It's it's such a privilege to to be able to foster those connections in that community because we all benefit from it. We all become a little bit better. I think we see the best of humanity unfold before us at twenty nine oh twenty nine. I like to say it's how we all get to our different summits, to the top of our different mountains that we're climbing, but we always have the ability to bring somebody with us. Like you brought Sarah up to the top of her mountain. She couldn't have done it without you. She acknowledged that. You know, there's so many mountains that I've climbed myself that I wouldn't be here, but for someone else being willing to do that, to have that open heart that we talked about, to mm-hmm. be in that place to accept those connections. And I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert and you have to be at every party and you have to be doing that. That's not it at all. If anything, it's those small, simple moments where it almost seems like nothing transpires, but yet everything does. Because it's it's about those moments. This is everything. There is nothing else that is going on in my life other than talking with you, being with you, feeling the energy, feeling the connection. It's like what Jesse said. He's like, it is you versus you. You are here to be with other people and to hike a mountain and have something special happen. And if we do bring that intention and awareness to the rest of our lives, man, there's no telling what could happen. There you have it, my Everest, the latest episode of the 29029 podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
If you'd like to learn more about 29029 events or read more stories from an incredible community of individuals, you can head over to 29029everesting.com. That's 29029everesting.com. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain. Keep climbing. We'll meet you at the next summit.